Well, good morning again. If you didn't hear me say it already, it is good to be with you today. And um, I'm enjoying this morning's worship and the worship team. Thank you for their ministry and thank you for leading us this morning. And uh, we're going to kick off this morning with this question. I'm going to dig in with you. Grab that before it gets too bad. There we go. Alrighty. How many of you like to have choices? Right? I know for me they're a mixed bag. And here's why. Because on the one hand, I chafe a little bit, surprised maybe as you might be, I chafe at being told what to do. You might not know that about me, but I also chafe at being told what to do because I agonize over doing things the right way. And since I like things to be just right, I often get stuck in indecision. So having choices makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Of course, that's just me. And maybe you are a little bit like me, but maybe you're not like me at all. Maybe you can't imagine a world where you feel boxed in, where you have no choices. Maybe, for you, choices aren't really that important. As long as people are being served and good is being done and I'm helping other people, right? Maybe, maybe you already feel trapped by a lack of options, by a lack of choices. There's a lot of different kinds of response to choice. Wherever you are today, this sermon is about choices. For our purposes, it's about choices between the God of the Bible and other gods or other ways of life. And we can learn a lot from the Hebrew people of the Old Testament in regards to this subject. Today we're picking up on our series called Doom to Repeat, where we're getting a bird's eye view of the journey, the spiritual journey of our spiritual ancestors, the Hebrew people, and their covenant relationship with Yahweh, God. We're working our way backwards through the Old Testament, looking at their ups and all their downs, and hopefully learning how we can try to avoid some of their mistakes or learn from some of their successes. Today you can follow along with me if you'd like by opening up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You can do that through the YouVersion Bible app. There's an event called New Hope Free Methodist Church, and in it we have all the scriptures for today. There might be another app that you use or the Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. But let's just remember today that you have options. As we begin today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Deuteronomy. And of course, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of Deuteronomy. We don't want to just dive in without understanding the context of the scriptures that we're going to be reading. So let me just give you a little bit of the context here. Uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's really the fifth book of the Bible. It's the last of what we call the last book of what we call the Pentateuch, which were five books that were canonized, in other words, put together around the fourth century BC. They were probably put together from oral accounts and historical fragments of documents by various historians throughout the time. Some portions of the Pentateuch are attributed to Moses. And so part of it was probably written by Moses. Some of it probably wasn't. But at least for the book that we're looking at today, Deuteronomy, it appears to be largely a speech that was given by Moses 
prior to his death. So I want you to think about Billy Graham, maybe, and his last crusade. All right, or I want you to think about Barack Obama maybe giving his last State of the Union speech, right? Like these are great men. They were great men giving their last words to the people, and it was kind of like, my time has come. Here's what I want you to know. All right, so that's kind of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, you need a little bit more context, all right? So Moses and the people of Israel, this is um, Moses has been wandering with these people throughout the desert for about 40 years. Remember, they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, and then they found Mount Sinai. And at the base of Mount Sinai, they spent about a year. And there they got the Ten Commandments, and they made this covenant with God to be a covenant people. All right, so now they're the covenant people of God. And then they go, after about a year, they go, and they come up to the edge of the Promised Land. And they're ready to go in, they send in these spies, and lo and behold, the people come back and they're afraid of what they see. And they rebel against God, and they say, that's too much, we're not going to go do that. And so God says, "All right, if you don't want to go do that, then go wander through the desert. Until you're all gone, I'm not going to be able to send my people in. And so then they are now bound to go wander through the wilderness for another 38, 39 years. We're at the end of that period of time. That's where Deuteronomy kind of picks up. We're now in the plains of Moab. We're just east of the Jordan River. And they are now once again ready to enter into the promised land. And Moses senses that this generation of fighting men that were afraid to go into the land, they're now ready to go into the land and they're ready to receive God's ultimate promise, which we talked about last week. Moses, after 40 years, now recognizes that it's time to move in and it's captured in this book of Deuteronomy. It could be considered what you might call a covenant renewal ceremony of sorts. Moses is laying down these laws once again, and he's telling the people, this is what you need to know. And we're renewing this covenant on the plains of Moab. The name Deuteronomy itself actually means something like second law. And basically, that's a bit of a misnomer, because it's not so much a new law or a second law, as much as it is as a restatement of many of the other laws that had already been given. But it's a new season, it's a new time, and whereas some of those old laws, the priestly laws, were given just for the priests and that sort of thing, this law appears to be given more to the people as a whole. And so Moses is talking, like I'm talking to you, and he's just laying out for them what God had told him and what God had told the people, and he's just restating it, and he's saying, you know what, my time has come. But man, don't lose sight of this. Don't lose hope. Don't lose perspective. It's a far more practical, if you read it, I've always enjoyed Deuteronomy, it's a far more practical, almost accessible book than, say, Leviticus, for instance, right? So if you've ever tried to read Leviticus, compare that to Deuteronomy, you know which one you'd prefer to spend some time in. So, Um, In fact, Deuteronomy would become a little bit more the basis for what is referred to as the law throughout the rest of the Old Testament and in, in the Psalms. So when you hear references to the law, more often than not, they're referring to the book of Deuteronomy, not necessarily what's found in Leviticus and Exodus. But there's a mix in there for all of it. So as we kick off today, that's the backstory a little bit on the book that we're going to be studying. I want to kick off chapter 30 with this thought. If you have a bulletin, you can fill these things in in your bulletin. The Hebrew people's future of life and blessing 
depended upon their choices. So just keep that thought in mind as we start reading. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. It'll be up here. You can follow along however you like. The chapter starts out this way. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where He scattered you. I want you to notice, as Moses is sharing this idea in chapter 30, that this freedom, this freedom to choose, goes all the way back to the garden. The very first story in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And that is not unintentional by Moses. God gave all humanity a choice. But he's reaffirming that choice with his covenant people in this discourse by Moses. God makes it clear that it was his desire to bless them and his people in general from the very beginning. So this is an illusion that goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. But Moses has been with these people a long time. He knows them. He knew that they couldn't stay on track. He essentially foretells their exile, whether it's prophetically, which it likely was, or if it was just sort of surmising from their human nature, right? He knows that this people will not be able to keep this law. He knew that they would experience hardship. If you were to go back in chapters 28 and 29, you would read about it and it's, he calls them curses, right? They're going to experience some things because of the hardness of their heart. My wife and I were just talking the other day and after 25 years of marriage, 30 years of being in relationship, I couldn't surprise her with how I think, right? She says, yeah, I I know that. I know that's how you think. Moses has been with these people 40 years. He knows the people. Chapter 30 that we're in today arises from this forecasted judgment And it offers for the people that Moses is talking to, it offers hope and restoration. In church terms, in sort of the modern language, we would call it grace, justification, and then sanctification. So I want you to think about those terms as we're walking through this chapter. We all have the same choice that God gave His people, that God gives His people. We can remember. We can turn and we can be saved. Their choice, as ours is today, was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. Or, to turn against Him and to worship other gods. It was pretty simple, really. Putting Him first would result in blessing and prosperity. Worshiping other gods would result in curses. And the land would be stripped away from them. The choice, at the heart of that choice, the key to that choice, was really to have the right heart. A devoted heart unlocks life 
and blessing. It's important to see in this discourse, not just chapter 30, but all throughout this speech that Moses is giving in Deuteronomy, that this theme, this devotion of heart, is the primary theme that Moses is trying to get his people to think about. God wanted his people to have a covenant heart, not just obedience to a set of rules. For that, I'd like to go back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And I'm going to have one of you read it. Actually, Dave is going to read it for you. So Dave, would you say Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 for us? Belt it out up there. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Vavta et Adonai Elohecha, uvchol lavavcha, uvchol nefeshecha, uvchol meodecha. Do you understand it? What? It's right there in front of you. You can see it. That's what he said. He just said it in Hebrew. That's one of the phrases that he memorized when he was learning Hebrew. We call it the Shema. The Jews call it the Shema. We know it as the Shema because the Jews call it the Great Shema in some cases. It is important to the Jews. It was foundational to the Jews. It's a foundational scripture of understanding who God is and how we are to relate to Him. I want you to pay attention to one of the phrases. Hear, O Israel. Think of the word listen or to listen. This word to listen, hear, O Israel, is not a passive Word. It's not something where we just let the words wash over our eardrums and we take it in. That's not what hear, O Israel, means. The word in Hebrew actually is an active word. It means that I'm not only going to hear, but I'm going to do something with it. Hear, O Israel, is an active word. And it's followed up by the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hear also The word love is not a passive word. It's the posture for our obedience. To listen is to obey. To love is the posture and the motivation for our obedience. I want you to note here for a difference for a minute how the love that's expressed in these words is different from the love we have in our culture today. In modern times, we kind of think of the word love as arising from somewhere within us. It's like a feeling that compels us or draws us to someone or something. We label it love. I love him. I love her. I love that. I love this. But it's this inner emotional thing. It's it's something that acts upon us. And we respond to it by acting in the direction of what we're drawn to. But what passes as love today is usually not true love as God expresses it here. But it's much more of a feeling that requires nothing from us unless we feel like it. But God clearly sees love as something way deeper than an emotion or a feeling. Love is a choice. It is a covenant and a commitment that we make that compels us to work at it, to not just react to it. It, love, becomes the motivation, but it starts out as a commitment. In fact, Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. 
I'm commanded to love. That doesn't seem right in our culture. Because if I don't feel it, then it's not really love. If we're commanded to love, then we probably can't expect to feel like anything at first, except potentially some resentment. I'm supposed to force myself to love? What is love then? Well, love is a choice. And the feelings may follow, but they don't become our motivation. God's goodness is our motivation. His faithfulness is our motivation. He is the object of our love, whether we feel it or not. Our choice to devote ourselves to Him becomes the driving force in fulfilling His command. That in and of itself is something that we need to spend some time considering. Especially in the culture that we live in. But to help us with this devotion that God commands us to, God promises to circumcise their hearts. That's a theme that Paul would tell the Romans was key to differentiating the people of God from the original covenant with Abraham and his descendants. So let's look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. It says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Or Paul would say it this way in Romans 2.29. He says this. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the spirit. Not by written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people. But from God. A circumcision of the heart. Is potentially painful. It's at least painful to think about, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, that's hard to think about, right? The idea is that there's some stuff that has to be dealt with before we can truly have this kind of heart that God calls us to. It's a huge commitment. And the pain of the process solidifies our commitment to Him. Now, pain probably won't look like the broken wrist kind of pain, right? The, the physical ouch kind of pain. More probably, the resulting pain will come from letting go of things that we think give us pleasure. When we let go of some things, the resulting change in relationships, because our friends don't like that we're changing, makes us and them a little bit uncomfortable means that potential changes will come to our family dynamics as we start to see life differently and live a little bit differently. But God promises to help us. And when He does, a transformation of the heart results in God's pleasure and opens the door to abundant life. Along the way, And in this discourse, Moses is very clear. He says, this is not too hard for you. Because some of us, we have that reaction. How can I do that? How can I live like you want me to live? Look at all the things that are weighing on me. Look at all the things that are coming against me. How can I do that? And Moses 
preempts all of that. This choice to love him is not too hard. Deuteronomy 30.11 says this, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. In fact, Paul would tell the Romans later in chapter 10, inspired by verse 14, in this section of Deuteronomy, no doubt, he would say this, The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember what Moses has said from the very beginning of Deuteronomy. Keep these words on your heart all the time. Meditate on them day and night. He's told the people to teach them to their children. These words are near to them. The choice to love him is not too hard. It is simply a choice that they have to make. This kind of love that God is talking about here is both available and accessible. It's doable. But it's still a choice. So God asks them, Moses asks them, to make a decision. Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16 says this, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. It's an interesting phrase, Phraseology, it's an interesting challenge. Moses has issued it before you could read it back in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, it comes with a response. It says the people responded to him and it went well with them. Or Joshua actually uses the same phraseology in Joshua chapter 24. And it also comes with a response. It says that the people responded favorably to the command, to the charge. But here in chapter 30, there's no response. There's no response of the people. It's almost open-ended, as if we're invited into this open-ended choice. It's not just a choice for the people, it's also a choice for us. There is no response as Moses is ending, as he's forecasting the future of his people. We can look into that story and we can put ourselves there. He tells them what to choose. He doesn't leave it open for them, right? He says, choose life. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 says, Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, it would go on to say. Author and blogger John Bloom wrote this, whenever we obey a command of God in faith, He sets us free or keeps us free from the blinding and oppressive, destructive slavery of sin and increases our capacity for joy. The commands are not burdensome. They are the narrow gate to life and true freedom. And the greatest of all God's commandments is that we love Him with our whole being. 
It's the greatest commandment because it is the fountainhead of all the others. It is the very heart of every other joy. Producing commandment and the only, every other joy producing commandment and the only way we can faithfully obey those commandments. You want to be obedient and love the Lord your God? You have to choose Him first and you have to choose to love Him first. The great thing about that The great thing about that is that he promises to meet you in the decision. It will always be your choice, but he will meet you there. Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. It's a beautiful thing. You will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Seek him while he may be found, says the prophet Isaiah. He will meet you in that decision. We choose God because we love God. Not the feeling of love, but a commitment that is all-encompassing And includes my time, my resources, and my devotion. Any material blessings that result need to be held lightly, shared openly and joyfully. And all praise and glory needs to be given to God alone. For us, it starts with repentance. Considering all the ways of the Lord and His role in your life, we turn towards trust in him that then turns into obedience that is motivated by love when you love him with all your heart and demonstrate it by living according to his word he will meet you and he will transform your heart blessings will abound even if not in the same way that the world defines blessing so today If that becomes your choice, what's your next step? Three things to consider. I want you to begin to look for God in everyday life. Look for God in the creation, in its power, raw power, and in its beauty. And notice a God of power and beauty. Look for God in relationships in the kindnesses that are done to you, or kindnesses done by you, or in the love that is extended and received. Look for God in your work. Look for God in your gifts and your talents and the things that you enjoy that are truly gifts. Look for God in everyday life. The second thing is to press through the activities that take you away from God. Set aside at least one of them and devote some of that time to God. What is it that distracts you from spending time with God? Replace that one thing or multiple things that will help you think about and experience or raise an awareness with God. Read or listen to the Bible more. 
memorize a verse like Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Offer up a prayer. Spend some time in silence. Take a walk in nature. Get some coffee with a friend and discuss what you're learning or dig into things that you need to learn. Join a small group. I want you to be dynamic in your approach. Don't feel like there's one way to connect with and realize who God is. We all connect with Him in very different ways. So try different things and fill up your life with some time spent with God. All I'm asking you today is be intentional. Be intentional with your pursuit of Him. I'll close with this thought. This comes from Patrick Miller who wrote a commentary on Deuteronomy. He says this, sort of toward the end of Deuteronomy 30. He says, a life that is offered is also a life that must be lived out. Life is offered to us. Moses, God, wants us to choose that life. But it's not a passive thing. And it may not be something that you feel like this warm fuzzy. It's a commitment. It's a choice. It's a choice to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's an active kind of love. We're going to take a few minutes to allow ourselves some space to respond to what the Lord might be saying to us today. And then we'll sing a couple of more songs. During those songs, you have the opportunity to take some notes, to write down a prayer request, to fill out a check, or to prepare a tithe offering envelope. There are many different ways to respond to what the Lord is saying to you or wanting you to do in response to this idea. There are baskets up here. The ushers will have a basket in the back. For those of you that have been here, you know that. If you're new, don't feel obligated. We just want to create some space. We want you to respond to what the Lord is saying to you today. So The worship team is going to come. They'll play quietly for a minute. Then they'll invite you to sing along. But this is your space for a couple of minutes to listen to the Holy Spirit.